Hello and welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock. More than 10,000 rare diseases are attributable to a single irregular gene, but each of these diseases only impacts a handful of patients, and the research and development to cure these diseases can cost millions of dollars. So the typical ways of funding disease research can often fall short. My guests today, Drs. Zach and Jerry Landman, are physicians, founders of the new nonprofit Moonshots for Unicorns, and the parents of Lucy, a little girl who suffers from one of these single gene rare diseases, PGAP3CDG. They're here to tell me their story. So welcome to the show, Zach and Jerry. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you, Jonah. Nice to be here. So in the world of, of rare disease, uh, obviously it's it, it faces certain challenges that, that other more broad diseases don't have, uh, where, where it can be difficult to fund development for, for treatment um, on, and have the economies of scale make sense for pharma. And that's sort of where this story starts uh, uh, from a trend perspective. Uh, but tell me a little bit about where it starts from a personal perspective and, and uh, yeah, just give us the basics and then we can dive in with a little bit of a Q&A. Well, four months ago, um, our daughter, who was um, uh, 10 months old at the time, um, had been, we thought we had a normal child, that she occasionally was uh, looking um, a little off from her normal neurodevelopmental milestones. When she would get a cold, she would be slightly more floppy and not making as good eye contact. But we had had so many uh, tests and studies uh, I was at Stanford as a physician and Jerry's a pediatrician and we had literally had so many MRIs and spinal taps and nerve conduction studies uh, and er- everything was reassuring. And so not until April 18th um, did we get our genetic tests results back from our neurologist and we learned that Lucy unfortunately was born with two bad copies of her PGAP3 gene, uh, which is a, a gene in the um, uh, umbrella of GPI anchor disorders. Uh, basically, it produces a protein which helps um, molecules stick to the outside of uh, the cellular membrane and is very important to uh, neurodevelopment. It's a gene that is actually so important that it's been preserved throughout evolution that you know even yeast and earthworms have it. Oh, wow. And, and so what, what's the practical effect on on Lucy's life? We were shocked when we got the diagnosis because on the spectrum of PGAP3 and other GPI anchor disorders, Lucy is relatively mild. You know, she was a little bit floppier than average babies, but very social, always smiley, um, and and was making progress along her motor milestones, you know, sitting unassisted and um it was really just how how poorly she looked whenever she got sick that made us do the genetic testing. And so we and her neurologist were shocked um, about the diagnosis because um, it is such a severe disease. Um, on April 18th, her neurologist told us that um, Lucy was likely to have severe intellectual disability, that she would probably lack expressive speech, um, as all kids with PF3 in the world do. Um, she may never walk and would be a toxic and hypotonic throughout her life. Um, and that um, there was a strong likelihood that she developed refractory seizures during childhood. And uh, based on uh, 
the doctor's uh, review of the literature as she had never had a patient with PGAP-3 before even at Stanford. Uh, there were no uh, treatments or therapies and uh, no even research into any potential treatments or therapies or clinical trials anywhere in the world. So that's where this idea of spoonshots for unicorns comes in, right? Because it's not a case of a disease that people have been trying and trying to find a treatment or a therapy for and failing. It's just a disease where there just hasn't been enough, um, there haven't been enough people afflicted with it for them to really put the effort into to looking in the first place. Yeah. Correct. This gene was only recognized to cause human pathology in something like 2014. So one, it's relatively new. Two, there's less, there's estimated to be maybe 30 to 50 cases diagnosed in the world just on, on different case series. Um, and yeah, I mean, moonshots for unicorns. So everyone knows what a moonshot is, right? It's a lofty attempt to get to the moon. And even if you shoot for the moon, you land among the stars and and a unicorn is inspired by Lucy and all the other rare disease kids out there that, um, you know, she's been special from day one. We really um, wanted a third baby to complete our family. And and she was different from her sisters from, from the first moment. Um, and I think that's how a lot of rare disease families feel is that their child may be very different, but is incredibly special and, and magical. Mm-hmm. And we just wanted... Um, you know, with moonshots for unicorns, it, it took a couple of weeks after the diagnosis to to come to this, but we wanted no family to ever feel like we felt that first night going to bed thinking there's no treatments and no cures um, and no possibilities and, and no hope. Um, and we hope that moonshots for unicorns starting with PGAP3, but um, extending beyond that will we'll give hopes to parents and families of, of kids with single gene disorders throughout the world. So how does it work? It's it's crowdfunding, right? To 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 actually fund research. Well, uh, exactly. And so after we were truly devastated and and mourned for about a week after learning of Lucy's genetic diagnosis, as physicians, and we happened to uh, be lucky enough to train at, at UCSF and Harvard, and uh, I was at Stanford. That we basically emailed uh, the first and last author of every um, research who had published on PGAP three as well as the leading researchers on um, the latest advancements in uh, therapies, such as gene therapy, uh, ASO technology, as well as um, drug repurposing. Uh, And that search led actually that based on the science, there are uh, likely and probable treatments for PGAP-3. They just haven't been explored yet. Uh, For instance, a drug had recently been found, uh, a repurposed drug, which was a Japanese uh, nerve medication, uh, to be highly effective at boosting a similar protein on an upstream pathway as Lucy's. And so this uh, little girl named Maggie, uh, she had uh, similar uh, expected symptoms as Lucy, that she uh, was uh, unable to walk and uh, lacked most expressive speech, um, as well as uh, quite ataxic. And after a few months, on this repurposed uh, therapy, she was uh, walking unassisted, uh, coloring in the lines and making uh, really just astounding progress. And so uh, with that experience and based on that data, uh, actually the drug uh, is now fast-tracked in a you know combined phase one, three uh, study at Mayo Clinic uh, from an individual family's uh, work on finding uh, repurposed medicines. 
Wow. To get to, to your question about crowdfunding, yeah, I think this has become the model for, for rare disease families that, um, you know, we are certainly not the first patient advocate organization out there to try to raise money for research for a cure for, for their child. There have been many super successful examples, Smash Mart, you know, I, I could list a bunch and, and I'm so thankful to the families that we've been connected to since getting this diagnosis who've, who've already paved a pathway in this way. Many of those organizations focus on a single gene, um, which makes perfect sense to us. And, and not, not to say that we're not going to start with PGAP3, um, because certainly that's, that's the inspiration for all of this. But um, yeah, I think the, the trouble with diseases that have less than 50 kids in the world is it's hard to find a scalable market, right? Um, pharmaceutical companies don't have a lot of motivation to uh, do all the R&D that it takes to get to these therapies. Gene therapy in particular is quite expensive. We're talking between three and $7 million for development of a, of a gene therapy for an individual gene um, just to get it to a, a phase one FDA trial. Um, and there's lots of barriers to, to gene therapy trials to the FDA being probably number one, two, and three that, um, you know, it's just expensive. Um, to do the kind of testing that's necessary to to get through the FDA. And even to yeah. do a, a human trial with so few patients available, you exactly. sort of have to bend the rules. Yes, yes, totally. Um, and But there, it, that's not to say that people don't care, right? Um, I think what we've discovered uh, since April 18th is not only are, are scientists and researchers so generous with their time, you know, we've sent hundreds of emails that we expected to go into the ether and never get a response. And people overnight have written back to us with thoughtful, lengthy, brilliant responses um, that have allowed us to move this forward. Um, and then the, just the generosity of strangers too, you know, it's, it amazes me how many people care about Lucy. And I think that that's, that's really true for, um, a lot of parents and families and individuals out there who who could easily envision themselves in the same boat um, and care a lot about our our unicorns. So, what is the next step? How 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 is this going to work? To expanding out? Um, at, or, well, first of all, obviously, you know, trying to to do as as much as you can with with PGAP three. But then, you know, as you said, you want it to be bigger than just one gene. I mean, I think the the field of gene therapy in general, the the mission of Moonshots for Unicorns is to um, cure single gene disorders. And I think as of now in science, gene therapy is probably the best way that we have um, in a scientific community and the the closest that we have to a cure for those things. Um, It's complicated. Right. And I would love to say that this is an entirely plug and play model. You take a virus, you put the fixed gene back into it, you give the virus to the baby and and the gene starts working. And if it were that simple, I think things would be um, a lot further along than they are. But there are complexities that we have learned a ton about in the last four months. That said, um, the more genes that go through this process the better the process will become in terms of figuring out the nuances of the virus and figuring out how you can modify the gene to make it best expressed. And probably most importantly, the more genes that go through this process, the more used to it the FDA will become. 
Um, and therefore, when the FDA approves, you know, a certain dose or a certain vector um, or a certain modification to the gene, and they've seen it enough times that they feel confident that it's safe or worth a risk-benefit ratio, then the price of this all will come down considerably and the process will become a lot more automated and it will be a little bit more plug and play. And so that's that's the big picture, long picture goal is, you know, let's let's do PGAP3. That's gonna take two years, probably at a minimum. Um, the GPI anchor disorder pathway has something like 16 genes in it and all of them needed gene therapy. Um, they fit pretty well inside the vector. That's one of the challenges with gene therapy is your gene actually has to fit in the virus. Um, and so moving along to the next one and the next one, um, you know, we're not, we're not going to stop uh, once Lucy um, has a treatment. Uh, we've, we've been in this boat for a short time, but we know what it feels like and, and we want to be there for other families as well. So, I mean, first of all, I didn't say it already. I'm obviously so sorry to hear what's happened. Um, but I'm also just really impressed that you um, have reacted to that situation, uh, you know, by really, you know, taking these steps to come together, create something, and tr- try to make a change for yourselves, but also for everyone else who's, who's in this position. And I, I'm just curious, like, is it, do you think it's because you're, you're both doctors that you were able to sort of take those steps and and jump into that research or, or, um, yeah, I mean, I I know a lot of parents probably wouldn't have responded in the way that you did. And so I'm just interested to hear kind of why you think. um, Yeah. Over the past, uh, four months, we've met so many, uh, inspiring and wonderful families and, uh, you know, every parent becomes a true PhD and expert in their child's disorder. And, uh, sometimes it takes you know months and sometimes it takes years, especially if you don't have much of a scientific or medical background. Uh, for Jerry and me with our medical background, especially with Jerry being a pediatrician, we could understand the science and the uh, you know biochemistry uh, and the physiology pretty quickly. And so we didn't sleep for a few days and uh, we then could feel like we had a pretty good grasp of where the deficiency was. Uh, you know, what the current research said um, that the deficiency in PGAP3 did in different cells and how we would potentially approach it from, you know, uh, a pharmacology uh, uh, or biochemistry uh, perspective. So I think that part uh, shortened that period to a matter of days where it's, you know, months or years for other families, but probably other aspects are that are as important as our types of personalities. And so you know, I'm the type of guy that when I wanted to first, you know, run a, med- uh, a marathon in medical school, I, you know, actually didn't stop in a marathon and just went straight to a hundred mile uh, race. And I've only done one triathlon, but I made it an Ironman. And so I'm kind of a person that is going to take it to the extreme. And so about a week after Lucy's diagnosis, I looked at Jerry and I said, look, we can lay in this bed and, and cry and just be sad for the rest of our lives or we can do something. And let's not just cure PGAP3, let's, let's think bigger and start with PGAP3 and then, you know, replicate this process time and again. So no parents ever have to go to bed thinking that they basically have no option other than to watch their child metaphorically drown in front of them um, as uh, how we feel uh, that Lucy will uh, be without a treatment. So you talked about the science and and the ways in which sort of it's it's 
what is available and what steps need to be taken. Um, but of course, the other piece is the funding. As you said, these are very expensive um, R&D efforts. So how are you approaching that? Um, is it just from individuals? Are you are you working with the farmers? Um, are you approaching foundations? And how do you get up to the, the money that you need to really make this happen? Yeah, I, we're open to all ideas. Um, we're, we're well on our way, which is great. Um, certainly some of it is personally funded because we just couldn't wait for, for some of that. So Zach and I have spent a down payment for a house. Um, and, uh, you know, our family has been, um, caring and generous with Lucy as well. Um, there, there are some pathways for this. Other organizations have used social media very effectively to raise money and, and crowdfund SmashMart being, being one of them. Um, thank goodness for the availability of Facebook and Instagram and everything, because it allows us to reach people who we never would have been able to reach before. Foundations are also an excellent source, um, for funding for research like this, though the challenge with that is one, just the competition among them because there aren't very many grants. Um, and two is the timeline. You know, um, PGAP3 isn't inherently neurodegenerative. There are many neurodegenerative single disease, single gene disorders out there that, that time is truly of the essence, but we're trying to capture, you know, normal neurodevelopmental critical periods here. So, so time is really important to us. Um, Organizations like CZI's, the Chan Zuckerberg Institute that have these wonderful grants really post RFAs like every two years. I can't wait for the next two year cycle to come up to, to do this research. I just don't have that kind of time. And Lucy doesn't have that kind of time. Um, and so that's a challenge. And the, the NIH is similar, you know, what a wonderful organization that wants to fund rare disease research that we're talking about a like three year approval time. Um, once you have some, some base research going, um, and a, a lot of these places want to see that you've done probably about $500,000 worth of research already by the time they're willing to kind of fund anything. Um, so one wonderful organizations and great grants, but, but a challenge from a time perspective and from an initial investment perspective, then there are pharma companies that have, um, charitable arms that we're so grateful to. You know, Amgen has a wonderful charitable arm. I think Genentech funds slightly different things. They're not, they're not really in the rare disease space, but, but they have money available to uh, apply to. Um, and so that's, that's really wonderful when pharmaceutical companies can kind of take some of the profits that they've made from more profitable drugs and, and put this toward this. And then in the end, you know, um, particularly for slightly more common diseases, like in the realm of maybe 500 people, um, pharmaceutical companies will often look at sort of the initial um, initial research, license the product, and then take it to clinical trial. The worst thing that can happen is when a pharmaceutical company takes, you know, the research that's been funded by family foundations um, that has already been done that maybe got a, a gene therapy proof of concept done license it and then sit on it and do nothing with it. That's the most devastating thing um, that, you know, that money has been invested. There are kids waiting for a treatment and, and the it's sitting in an IP locker basically. Because there isn't a um, profit motive. Yeah. There isn't a profit motive. Exactly. But yeah, those are, those are the sorts of um, things that we're doing. Um, 
And, you know, there's, there's always local efforts too. We live in a wonderful community here in the Bay area. People have been, have been very generous. Um, and certainly reaching out uh, locally to, to people who know your family and care about it and, and trying to, to access the PGAP3 um, or your genes um, uh, community at large uh, for, for crowdfunding that way is helpful as well. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll include a, a link um, in the show notes if anyone's listening and uh, knows, knows someone or, um, or feels a move to help, you know. Um, Thank you. So, uh, Thank you so much. we're we're coming to the end of our time. I just want to let you guys uh, tell me what we haven't talked about yet that you think is is important to to discuss. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that's really challenging, and we've we've heard this time and time again from multiple um, uh, pharmacological uh, CEOs and um, venture capital uh, funds, is you know, you need at least a thousand, maybe 500, but at least a thousand patients for us to be interested in anything that you're doing. Um, uh, because like you said, you need to ultimately develop a profit. Um, well, the problem is that people don't test for conditions that often don't have treatments. And so what we've seen time and time again, when gene therapy has hit the market, a condition will have, you know, a couple hundred uh, patients. And it was done entirely by a family, you know, foundation, and then overnight, once the therapy is potentially available, that number triples. Um, and we're seeing you know, 600, 700 patients. And so we've actually been working with the wonderful folks at Invite, who are the genetic testing company, uh, to help us understand kind of the true prevalence of uh, these diseases. And so the literature would say that there's about 30 to 50 uh, patients uh, worldwide with PGAP3. Well, if you look at the, the database and they've kind of run some, um, you know, machine learning models and it's probably, it's still very rare, but probably closer on the order of like one in a million or one in 1.5 million. And if you kind of, you know, do the math in the United States, that puts it, you know, right in the order of around, you know, 500 to 600. And so if we had 500 to 600 patients for PGAP3 just sitting there waiting for a treatment, the uh, opportunities and the potential, you know, uh, interest from investors and from uh, pharma companies would be much uh, greater. But there's not going to be that if we don't have a treatment. So it's a chicken and the egg problem. And so it falls on organizations like Moonshots for Unicorns to do the hard nitty gritty work of raising money through a nonprofit uh, model, doing the hard work, developing the treatment, knowing there may or may not be uh, sufficient market size. Uh, and you know that's the type of work that um, Moonshots will have to do. And we're working um, with our industry partners to expand uh, the uh, ability for patients to get genetic testing because the, the scope is very limited and the uh, insurance coverage has been uh, really challenging both on the private and public side. And so we are, are, are huge advocates for genetic testing being very early in the diagnostic uh, process, especially for you know categories of conditions like uh, pediatric epilepsy and neurodevelopmental aspects, which oftentimes uh, have a strong genetic component. You probably don't need an emission, two lumbar punctures, a nerve conduction study, two brain MRIs, all of which Lucy had, and all of which were reassuring and pretty much normal before swabbing a cheek uh, to get a genetic diagnosis. Wow. Yeah. So that's so interesting in so many ways. Uh, you know, just that you know, what, what you said about there, you know, potentially being 10 times as many patients and then 
I assume if you were to include like the developing world even more, right? Globally. Um, Absolutely. And, and so much of it is that even, even when we got our diagnosis or Lucy got her diagnosis, one of her um, mutations was actually classified as unknown, uh, what's called a VUS, a variant of unknown significance, um, because there wasn't enough uh, data. Well, it turns out a six-year-old in New Zealand has the exact same uh, mutation, this sense mutation. And when our doctor reported back to Invitae that Lucy did in fact have symptoms consistent with PGAP3, and that New Zealand uh, patient also had symptoms of PGAP3 with that same mutation, only then could they reclassify that mutation as pathogenic because now you have two patients uh, you know, with it. And so that's the law of numbers that there's, I think, only about 16 known pathogenic variants of PGAP3 and 10 or 100 times more of these unknown you know, variants. And so without testing and without having patients that you know the symptoms and that reporting back, it's the, you will never know the kind of true prevalence of the condition. And that's not just true for PGAP3. That's true for every single you know, genetic disorder out there, especially the, the rare and ultra rare ones. Right. So the takeaway is that you know, rare diseases are not quite as rare as, as they seem on the surface. And the other thing I hear often about rare diseases is that while individual rare diseases are rare, rare, rare diseases are not rare. There many, many people, I can't remember the exact numbers. And what you were saying about, you know, there being sort of a class of genes that as you develop gene therapy on more and more of them, it becomes more almost plug and play. You know, that's a really interesting piece too, and, and a source of, of hope that this could be kind of solved at scale, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our, our vision is that over time and with the work of Moonshots for, for unicorns and similar organizations, we make treatments like gene therapy to be like the flu shot, where the, the transport vessel, you know, the plasmid, the promoter that kind of upregulates the gene in the cell, those are off the shelf. And it's the same, you know, used pretty much every year and the FDA feels very comfortable. And so you switch out the cargo, you do some uh, very standard safety, toxicity, efficacy studies in mice, and then you can jump straight to the clinical trial. You're not bogged down in changing requirements on each, you know, each one, multiple rounds of, you know, non-human primate studies or other large animal studies, which add, you know, considerable time and cost. Uh, and complexity to each um, to each condition, and so you know our hope is that through this work is that we you know show okay PGAP three works okay Pig A works okay you know we don't go down this pathway and that you're saying okay each each loss of function you know mutation along this pathway pretty much follows the same biomechanics right you're making the same thing at the end of the day you're getting a lipid raft to the cellular membrane and if you're using the same stuff every time you don't have to you know reinvent the wheel and pour $7 million, maybe it's $500,000 or $250,000 or something like that, where, you know, a pharma company says, you know, this makes sense. And I'm not just looking at PGAP3, I'm looking at the pathway, I'm looking at a 16 enzyme pathway. And I can see that if I put the work in for PGAP3, I can recreate the same process in a standardized fashion, and, you know, create a uh, spectrum of effective, you know, um, uh, treatments. So really, we're talking about precision medicine here. And, and it seems like you're probably when it comes to the regulatory piece, 
you have allies in this fight, right? There's there's other people in Farmer that want to see these processes streamlined in the same way to reflect sort of where we are with the technology, right? We would yeah. love, and the answer is we don't have any partners right now. If people are listening and want to partner with, with us, we feel very strong about this on the advocacy side. We know that we had excellent care at Stanford. We absolutely love our doctors and nobody did anything wrong on the diagnostic pathway in terms of doing all those tests before the genetic diagnosis in terms of, you know, an admission and all those, you know, invasive procedures. And the reality is you have to do those because in order to justify sending out 480 genes uh, to get, you know, a genetic diagnosis, you have to say that you failed X, Y, and Z. And so um, uh, that's on the testing component. And then the same thing is on the, um, the treatment perspective you know, having an effective gene therapy that no patient can afford and is not covered by insurance also does nobody any good either. And so, you know, Jerry mentioned the kind of uh, hoarding and stockpiling uh, some of these treatments. And I don't think it's because there's bad people or bad actors out there. I think it's because if, if you put the time and money to manufacture and produce these therapies and there's not insurance coverage, you've just you know, spent all this time and you're not going to be able to, you know, have a, a sustainable business model with it. And so the whole system needs to change in terms of training doctors to move the genetic testing up in the diagnosis. That's going to require the coverage on the insurance side. Uh, and then on the once you do have the uh, accurate test and you develop the therapies, you need to have patients then that can actually afford and get them into the patients that you know really need them. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today for telling your sharing your story. Um, I know it's not the easiest thing to talk about, but it's very inspiring what you guys are doing, and I I really wish you the best of luck in um, uh, with with Lucy and with uh, the whole company and the whole project. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much, John. We really appreciate it. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter at at Pharma Forum. Thanks for listening. Oh.